All right, we are live with Jordan Menard. We will get some people in here, and I'm going to pull up the uh, convo on my other screen here. Oh, do, 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 do. All right, so if you guys are coming in, if you could just comment uh, if you can hear us or not so we can make sure all the audio is good. How have you been, buddy? I'm good, man. Uh, aside from the fact that Facebook apparently decided <laughs> to take a dive today, uh, I know. I'm good. I know everybody's like, oh, I can't work today. <laughs> I know. A lot of people are shutting off their campaigns. I'm really interested to see how that has an effect on CPMs. And um, I'm curious. I'm debating turning some off and also leaving them on, you know. Yeah. When you, I feel like when you leave, if you leave them on, when everyone turns off, uh, there's a good chance you can get an increase in performance. I'm wondering if this is even going to work because I can't even get the live to pull up on my other screen. Okay. So. It's just literally sitting here and spinning. Probably try it on my phone. Hey Leilani, can you comment if you can see video? I don't see video on my end. I had a feeling this may not work today. Being in this likely. See what she says. Four people are here. Two people. Mm, oh, you can see us. Well, why can't I see myself then? Hmm. Ricky, you can't see us. Papa, is that you? <laughs> Somebody said Papa, that's not me. You hear us, but you can see us, or we're good? Uh, check. I can see it on my phone, I just don't see it on my desktop. Okay, Roy, there's some people get, yeah, we can get some people in here. So. We will just go ahead and get started, and we will do the best that we can. So I have, I have Jordan Menard. Uh, if you are in the AdLeaks Platinum, the AdLeaks Gold Groups, I'm sure you've seen him around. Um, real quick on that before we get going, AdLeaks and Gold and AdLeaks Platinum, we didn't move to the new uh, sign-up process, so you're no longer allowed to just come in and sign up for the $1 trial. So um, there's now already a a line to get in and there will be an application process and a phone interview and we will be um, selecting applicants based on uh, our interaction level of uh, ad buying skills and we will place you in the according group so if you are looking to do that you can just go to joinadleaks.com and sign up and get on the wait list um, but enough about that we're not here for that so let's jump in with Jordan um, if you don't know Jordan, Jordan is huge in Facebook ads and a couple other platforms. So 
I'm going to let kind of Jordan dive in and tell us a little bit about uh, kind of what he's doing and kind of what's working for him. And we'll kind of get into some questions and, and go from there. So why don't you give us a little intro, buddy? Uh, sure. Um, so, yeah, um, my name's Jordan. <laughs> uh, I'm a media buyer. Um, I've worked with a lot of uh, info buyers out there. So or sorry, info products. Um, I started off um, actually doing like local um, at a, an agency. And it was like they had a you know typical agency model, a ton of clients, uh, you know, low margin per client, and we're just kind of grinding it. And uh, that's where I got good at ads. And from there, Nick Fisher over at Consulting.com, shout out Nick Fisher if you're watching this. I know you're not, but uh, <laughs> Nick's a, Nick's a great guy. Um, so yeah, Nick hired me over at Consulting.com with uh, Sam Ovens, and in 2018. And in 2018, that's when I really learned how to buy ads at scale. And we ended up um, spending over 3 million on the front end, just a one single webinar funnel in one year. Um, that was just a wild year. There were some days where I'd spend $40,000 just on one, literally just sending people to a webinar. Um, it was a really good funnel, really good backend. From there, I started my own, um, it's kind of like a boutique agency. Um, we take, uh, any, any client that really wants to scale their personal brand and uh, sell info products at scale, uh, we take on and, and work with. And um, we have some pretty heavy hitters on our lineup. Uh, so that's really what I'm doing right now. Uh, okay, cool. So you're running basically as a majority, would you say, Facebook ads? Or are you guys kind of mixed up across multiple platforms? Yeah, we run. So typically for our clients, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to want to spend well, you know, for each client, well over $200,000 a month. And um, at that scale, you're going to want to make sure that you're on the channel, you're on everything. And that when people Google you, there's a strong you have you control the search results, you know, you're you have YouTube remarketing, um, you know, Google, YouTube, uh, Google ads and Facebook ads are what we run primarily. Um, but really, uh, if a, if a client needs it, um, you know, we'll, we'll go figure it out or we'll partner with someone who knows how. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So you talked a little bit about webinar funnels. I'll be honest. I don't, uh, I haven't ran a lot of webinars. We're running one now for a client, you know, it's kind of small scale, hundred bucks a day, getting 30, $40 cost per lead type stuff for a new webinar they're trying to come out with. Tell us about, I guess, in your opinion, if traffic differs from how, like, if it does, does it differ when you're running e-com versus a webinar as far as strategy or kind of tell us about your funnel, how you set that up uh, and kind of how you build that out for like, uh, yeah, um, most definitely. Um, if you're getting 30 to $40 webinar registrants, I, I mean, you must have a killer conversion event on the back end. <laughs> that's going to be tough to be profitable, really tough. Yeah. Uh, my, my target CPL is usually around $9 for a registration, 15 for an attend ideally. So, um, yeah, the strategy is much different. Um, I'm obviously biased, but I, I always say this, that info, uh, info is the hardest uh, type of ads to buy. Um, yep. And the reason is delayed attribution. When you mm -hmm. buy a webinar registration, you don't know if that person's going to purchase at all. And if they do, it will usually be at least two hours after the registration, the purchase will actually happen, right? So yep. this isn't just a late attribution from like the sale happens and then the data comes in later. This is like the first registration conversion happens, they get on the webinar and then after that they buy. But the reality is most people don't buy there. You're gonna see a conversion rate that's usually around seven to 9% if you're just crushing it, just crushing it, doing really well. Um, that's how we optimize the, you know, the, the consulting.com backend, that's where 
you know, we were looking at those numbers and we were paying like roughly a hundred dollars for someone to see between 80 and a hundred for someone to get onto the webinar and wait until the call to action. Yep. So, um, which happened, you know, uh, over an hour in, um, considerably. And so when you have all of these variables, um, and the fact that you're buying, uh, registrations at scale and none of them can back out. So your cash can swing very violently. Um, I really think that uh, the strategy is completely different. It's completely unique. But once you learn how to do that, buying um, initial purchase or a single purchase or even like a more complicated e-commerce marketing funnel just doesn't have the level of mystery to it that mm -hmm. the info funnels do. And I think, um, yeah, that it, it requires a whole nother strategy, a very custom one and um, one that requires a lot of build out. What was the price of like what you're selling on the back end? Like, uh, you know, ours was like a thousand dollar like business mastery course, and this is a brand new pixel, no data, nothing like all new. So, I mean, we've only been running it like a week. Um, yeah. So obviously, it is a little high. But tell us a little bit about, I guess, what was the price? If you're getting CPLs at nine to ten bucks, it's obviously really, really good. What are you selling on the back end, and like, how do you curate them through that process? Even if like they don't buy then, like what, what's your follow-up tactics on something? Yeah. So uh, good question. So that's where all the money is really made in webinar funnels. Um, I, uh, me and, and my team, uh, shout out to Dino, uh, who's my business partner over here. Um, Dino and I really focus on like what we call conditional remarketing. And that's like, once you sign up and once you've engaged with us on a certain amount of level, you're going to get a different type of communication from our side. Right. So like, mm -hmm. let's say you hopped on the webinar, we're going to put tags on users at 25, 50, 75 CTA and finish the webinar. And we're going to, you know, use like a CRM, like Entreport to create custom audiences based off how much they viewed and also tag them. So we can send emails that are different depending on how much of our content they've consumed. You can also integrate, um, you know, text messaging, chatbots. There's a lot of other tools that you can integrate into those flows once you've made it conditional like that. That can really get you uh, to have, you know, re really nice profit on the back end. We, our mm -hmm. courses typically, uh, we we have a few clients who do this, and our um, the the price points around a thousand to any to six thousand if it's uh, over the phone like a webinar VSL to over the phone, something like that. Um, again, it's all in the back end build out. The ads have to be obviously really good, but it's all in the back end build out. And there's, you know, in reference to the $9 CPL being really good, you, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. It just depends on what the audience is and how it backs out, right? Um, mm -hmm. One of the things you have to be super careful for, are you guys doing a payment plan? No, they're not. They're just doing a flat, you know, this is their first thing ever jumping in. So they're basically okay. just doing sign up for like their webinars, I think a week out. So it's not even like an instant webinar like yours. And then they put them oh, on a schedule. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little more of like a, not such a quick, quick type thing, but I don't think they are. Right. I would be, I would be really wary about the uh, attendance rates on those. Um, mm -hmm. Typically you're going to get less than 50% substantially. So in that scenario, the CPL is really like double. Um, yep. but yeah, I, you know, it, I, if you take payment plans, um, it, it will increase your conversion rate for sure. Um, mm -hmm. but if you do, you also need to be wary of how much you cash you collect per day against revenue. Um, because it's very easy to fuck yourself over cash wise and, you know, think you're doing well and then have a bunch of payment plans. And let's say those default, then you're in a serious hole. 
So sure. um, it's just that, you know, it's kind of like a, a pro tip, you know, don't fuck with your cash. <laughs> Unless you got a lot of it. Yeah, um, right. Uh, you, so what was the soft, what software do you use to be able to tag people like that that are in your webinar based on how far they complete and like put them in a user? Like what's, what's that called? So a lot of people, there's a lot of softwares out there. People use uh, Clavio. Um, I, I'm not sure how in depth that goes. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do know it's popular. People use Infusionsoft, um, okay. and then uh, I prefer Entreport. Um, that's that's my play. Yeah, um, and I can drop a link. Um, Is that E N T R E P O R T or it's it's with a O? Okay. O N T A R A port. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I never heard of that one. Right. Yeah, um, they're they're one of Infusionsoft's main competitors, but really, either either one of those will work. I know a lot of people like Infusionsoft. I don't. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's made out of popsicle sticks and it breaks all the time, so it's not my bag. But um, like Facebook. Yeah, right. And when you have two of those things, it's just a headache. <laughs> I am not willing to handle. Yeah, I about agree with that. All right. Okay. So, in relation to a couple things, delayed attribution. Are you guys using, I'm just curious, do you guys use offsite conversions? And then after people that actually register and buy, upload that back to actually track purchase to ad sets, or are you just doing it solely off registration? So, uh, ne never solely off registration. You know, solely off registration is impossible. You know, we're, we're tagging mm -hmm. them all the way through and creating custom conversions in the dashboard for even watch yep. percentages, saw CTA, viewed landing page, add to cart, initiate checkout, purchase. add payment info and purchase. And yeah. so, uh, and those all integrate with the flows, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. What was the original question? Well, I, okay. So you are using purchase and then passing it back. I, I oh, I, the I, offline conversions, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, it depends on the client. Oftentimes, we'll use Zapier offline conversions, um, just putting them into a Google Sheet and back, mm -hmm. um, just you know through Zapier's webhooks, and that's really good because lots of times when they go from, especially if, if they close over the phone. Um, that's going to be really your only way to accurately get conversions back mm -hmm. into Facebook. Uh, yep. But that's absolutely crucial because you can never, if you don't do that, you have no idea what's converting. You have no idea what you're turning off. You could be turning off a $13, you know, cost per lead that's backing yep. out at 20% in favor of a $7 lead uh, that will never back out. Um, yep. And I see people do that all the time. So that mm -hmm. type of stuff is super crucial. And if you want to use Zapier and, and Google Sheets, it's an easy setup that can easily pass that data through offline conversions. Yep, I 100% agree we use that. I use it even for e-com, just like get a uh, difference in like what the pixel tracks versus doesn't track. So sure. even, a lot of our, even our, a lot of our big clients that you know are on Shopify will even use it with Zapier and just pass it back automatically because you'll actually get a different percentage of like conversions on campaigns. Right, um, right. And then those create different lookalikes, right? So there's mm -hmm. different seeds. There's like, there's a lot of plays there. Yeah. I'm going to make some questions in here from people as we go a little bit too. For those who are completely new and have never handled that much ad spend, if you had to start all over again, how would you go about getting your first experience to demonstrate a solid case study? Mm, great question. Great question. Um, so the easiest way to do this is tell someone you'll do it for free. Um, I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, find, you know, if, if you're really there, find someone be like, Hey, I'll build out all the ads. I'll take care of it. Um, just, you know, let me run it for a little bit and promise me that you'll give me a case study and make, you know, make a handshake agreement or a contract and, um, you can execute that way. Um, another good way to do it. And what I would recommend over what I just said is offer people profit shares, right? 
So like, uh, if you don't have a lot of experience, you know, find someone that you want to work with, approach them, you know, come with a good presentation, come with a good pitch, explain why you're good at this, um, explain why you could be good and where your strengths are. And then uh, tell them they don't have to pay you anything up front. They just have to cover the ad spend and they'll, they'll pay you once they get the sales back. Uh, it's very low risk for uh, the entrepreneur. Um, it's very low risk for the vendor. Um, and you get a, you know, you can get learning and, you know, it, that way you're not working for free, but at the same time, um, the risk is mitigated for someone who maybe doesn't have that type of cred. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, about naming conventions, where do you get the Google sheet Excel file to organize all of this information? It was the sheet that you had at the iStack event. Oh yeah. Um, I make those, um, I make those sheets on, on Google sheets um they're unique to every single funnel so that just matches up with my dashboards that allows me to take a um I, I one of the reasons i like doing that is because i can see how things fluctuate on a much easier to read level i also like forcing myself to go in and manually put in the day's results it takes me five minutes and I'm, i familiarize myself with the data on like mechanical motion um, but if you're not doing something like that, you're not, in my opinion, it's going to be really hard to track an account, right? Um, just uh, specifically on, uh, again, accounts receivable and stuff like that. But to answer the question proper, I just make everything on Google sheets. Oh, okay. Uh, and for some of those people, like I didn't see your iStack event, can you elaborate on what that question was pertaining to and like what the sheet did or whatever? Some of us probably have no idea. Yeah, most definitely. So, um, I'm not sure. I, I think they're referring to the sheet uh, that I showed at the end, which showed how um, the things that we, you know, things I was talking about, uh, string theory specifically, um, allows us to scale real world accounts. And this was a, a very high profile account. I believe it was Dan Locke that I showed. Uh, the screenshot showed um, daily ad spend, um, impressions, CPM, clicks, CTR, page views, webinar registrations, attendees, and cost per for all of them, all the way down to purchase in a spreadsheet. And then, um, you know, obviously it would calculate the cost per everything and that would give us our ROI and everything like that. Um, but that's kind of like what we use as a, um, I don't know, kind of our North Star. Um, we're always looking back to it. We take notes in it so we can see how our changes happen. Like, let's say we make a change on the first and, you know, 14 days later, we notice that there's been a big lift. Um, you know, that allows us to see it at a very um, macro level, but also very granular. And so we use that for all of our accounts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. And I guess I was wrong. I, it's $6.40 of registration for the campaign we were running, not 40 So There we go. That sounds about <laughs> I, right. I, I, I don't run the ads as much. So, okay. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. All right. So there's a couple questions. If you guys have any more questions, drop them in uh, down below. So tell us about how you, so you're running all of this on Facebook, you have it all set up. What do you kind of tie in uh, with other platforms to basically like help facilitate your main traffic or do you, t do you tie in other cold traffic sources or kind of how does that look like? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, so I have, I have partners that help me run YouTube. Um, uh, shout out to Tommy McGill. He's the best YouTube buyer for info um, probably in the world. Um, a boss, uh, really cool dude as well. And um, so for big jobs, I'll, I'll um, typically I'll reach out to him and see if we can work something out. Um, we've just started doing that. We just got a client together and um, I'm running Facebook and Instagram. and He's running YouTube, same way it was at consulting. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so a lot of those things are, uh, you know, they're, they're working out right now and, uh, you know, nothing's in motion yet, but it's just, you know, some stuff that's uh, down the road. Typically I like to run cold traffic from all sources. Um, I definitely think Google AdWords is like a, like search is a, a very underutilized or underspoken about. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the conversion rates and the, the user intent are as high as this, as high as it gets. It's as good yep. as it gets. It doesn't get any yep. better. Um, I mean, YouTube offers more stability than Facebook, um, and I think it can offer very valuable cold traffic, but it's a lot harder to craft um, at first, in my, in my opinion. Um, I'm yeah. also very biased because uh, Facebook and Instagram are my specialty. Um, yeah. But yeah, really, to, for you know, for our clients, we you know they come to us for a holistic uh, marketing solution, and we view that as all channels. I, I you know I think if you're really going to look to scale a brand, you're going to want to get sales everywhere you possibly can, and that's going to require you to step outside of Facebook. You know, what does your split look like between like uh, cold retargeting percentage wise? Do you run like 80, 20, 70, 30? I don't um, have a hard rule. Um, I'm always looking at what are the CPMs, what are the audience sizes, what type of remarketing strategies do I have? Um, you know, it's gonna typically I'll, I'll, I always throw up remarketing when I throw something up in cold. Cause like, why wouldn't you, um, mm -hmm. all, you know, always clean up and get that ROI, but, um, there's no hard rule of thumb. It, it's really built out and we really look at every single account being its own ecosystem and, uh, building out differently. And then there's different levels of remarketing as well. You know, if one account, uh, you know, just different strategies, let's say one account, we're going primarily with like a video view to cold and then remarketing to all engagement to a conversion funnel, right? Yeah. In that scenario, you would have a much different breakdown than if we were just going like cold webinar funnels than remarketing to those registrants. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, a different breakdown. It's really case by case. Yeah, I know a lot of people, it's funny you said that, a lot of people even in some of the gold and platinum, they ask a lot of questions about remarketing and I'll kind of give our breakout and then I talk a little bit about, you know, page engagers, Instagram engagers, people engaging with your, con like most people yeah. forget about that. Oh yeah, that's the easiest CBO you can make. Website yeah. visitors, video viewers, page engagers, uh, engage with ad, um, yeah. you know, or whatever you want to do. But it's an easy CBO to make. It's a warm. I call them warming up CBOs because they just like their the audiences aren't quite warm, but they're warming up. You know, um, yeah. so yeah, that's how we play it. And um, I, I that, you know, just don't. That's good ROI there. Don't don't leave that on on hit. Oh sure, it's funny. So CBOs, what are your coming mandatory here in two months, two and a half months. What's your opinion on them? having success, not success? ABO I mean, is better? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, like, I mean, I'm, I prefer ad set budgets, you know, but obviously we're running CBO a lot and we're doing well with it. Um, I, for me, it's not, I mean, it, obviously it's different, you know, and there, there's different rules and um, we're experimenting with, you know, start, I know a lot of people are really looking at like rules for spend on uh, min max. And that's, that's a real big thing. Um, we haven't experimented with that a whole lot. We've typically um, found our CBOs to uh, do best when we have like a higher budget, um, yeah. not, you know, a decent amount of ad sets, not a ton, but targeted, um, you know, really good audiences and uh, good creatives. And um, we've, I've found that they can oftentimes be more stable than the ad sets would. Um, but I find that the ad set budgeted ad set level is easier to scale. Um, yeah. I've also noticed that there is a weird fluctuation when you're buying with CBO, like a little while ago, what was it like a month ago? It was crushing. Now yeah. it's just like dog shit. And yeah. I guess it's because they just keep messing with stuff. They keep yeah. tweaking and like, but, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of letting other people 
uh, get the bugs out with all the aggressive CBO yeah. and uh, I'll, I'll move more towards it once I feel it's more uh, stable. We found some pretty good luck with it, like just doing kind of what you were saying, five, six ad sets, and then we'll have, we can even yeah. set a big budget up there. We can set like a 10K budget day, even though we don't want to spend that. And then we right. min and max is of like 100 a day. So we only spend 500, let that run a few days, and then slowly increase so you don't, re yep. so you don't reset the learning uh, and then slowly shut things off. But do you, do you believe learning is a thing? You know, I try not to reset it because I just, I, I have a theory. I have a couple different theories on that. Like I know, like from my understanding and what I've tested and seen, Facebook kind of resets its learning for the day every night at midnight because you know people will surf and do the shotgun and they'll see good success. Um, I don't go more on day to day. I kind of just because everything, unless it's like a really cheap product, delayed attribution is such a big thing for it even really ecom. E I mean, to me, the most like biggest thing that people don't understand they're doing media buying is delayed attribution and the power of it. Um, if you've ever built a client on revenue, uh, like percentage profit shares, and you like take your numbers on July 1st for the month to bill them from June 1st to June 30th, and then you come back at the end of July and look at those numbers again, they'll like go up two and a half times, uh, you know, quite a bit. So right. I, I always like I don't look at things day to day really. I try to look at things more like long term, holistic, like twenty eight day. Um, so just on that, I try to minimize resetting learning. Like I don't go in and jack bud budgets way up. I when I have a winning ad set, even if it's at fifty a day, I leave it. So we have noticed a lot more stability scaling like wide with ad sets, lower budgets right, right now. And then instead of going, you know, instead of doing like Power Five where you run, you know. 10 ad sets, putting all of your eggs in a basket because there's so much volatility. One day, one ad set will do really well. The next day it takes a shit dive and it does nothing. So I right. think the more darts you can throw at the dartboard, you know, and then use your rules to cut them through the day, the better off you're going to be. That's kind of my thought on it. But for uh, sure, I think for e-com, that's definitely a good play. For info, it gets a little bit tricky because you don't know if those webinar registrants are going to back out for a yep. long time. You know, the reality is uh, you won't know for like another three, four days. So yep. it becomes so much more difficult. But I think for e-com, that is a great play. And I, I definitely endorse that strategy. It's good. Uh, um, so on the CBO stuff, there was when would you turn off a bad running ads, ad sets within a CBO campaign? I mean that um, to me that KPI based, but it, it's totally KPI based. Um, that and that 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 question is kind of vague, right? Like, what am I trying to do in this with with the objective, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think for certain video views, I'm not going to demand that ROI because I'm looking to get engagement and build those video view remarketing audiences, right? Mm -hmm. um, but typically, I'll let something if it's high ticket like info. Um, I'll let it run about one times the CPA. So like, or one times the value of the product. Um, mm -hmm. And if it's not, if it's not doing well at that point, I'm going to cut my losses. Sometimes earlier when I get really familiar with accounts, I'll chop stuff early. If I notice that it's really not doing well and there's no point yeah. in wasting budget because I could just put something else up that would work better. Um, so it's very case by case and it's obviously very KPI dependent. Depends on what yep. your KPI is. Yeah, because then it depends on your profit margins, you know, and based on how much, you know, your, your KPI can be so you can spend. For sure. A lot of people don't realize that this, a lot of what this is, is a game of who can lose the most on the front end acquisition and monetize that customer journey the best on the back end. 
yeah. most people really, really focus on that single conversion, that one pop sale, because they think that's where the bread's at. But in actuality, yeah. you should be figuring out how much can I afford to lose on, or like what margin can I take the hit on to get yeah. them there? Because I know that my LTV, which dictates my remarketing, is gonna pick that up. And then from there, as uh, Shackleford will tell you, it's all AO improving your AOV and then setting up remarketing yep. and LTV and building with the model for that, right? Like the yep. business model intrinsically is ready to do that. I think a lot of people also will look at remarketing and think it's like, well, what's the hack? You know, what's the, what's the trick? And really the only trick is um, have a good backend system. Um, monetize your leads, monetize, you know, sell, sell upsells to your the people that buy your product, find a way to get a subscription service with people that have purchased. Anything like that is gonna be where your remarketing comes from and then it's just like any other ad, you know, you just write it based off what you're promoting. Yep, I do, I have that. <laughs> That's so like crucial that like, you say that, I just had this conversation with a huge client, one of our biggest ones, you know, and they're like, oh, I gotta be three X row ads for break even. And I'm like, okay, seven day, 30 day, well, seven day. And like, you know, his average, Order value is like 120, 130. His average repeat mm. purchase rate is four or five times over the course of four or five months. And it's like, well, do you realize by looking at and optimizing off ROAS, like I'm getting some purchases on some of your ad sets for half the price, but I cut them because you want to optimize based off of ROAS and you want to hit this certain short term goal ROAS. But once you acquire that customer and it's on pure cold traffic, like you have that customer and you know based off of your data that they're going to buy four or four, five more times. So, like, he doesn't want to scale because he doesn't want his row ass to fall. But then it's like, well, dude, you're like going to get that money back after a month with that customer based on. Right. So it, it, a lot of people don't understand them. They don't think long-term windows. So I, I mean, it's huge. And I think people will also confuse 28 day or 30 day click attribution, which is the industry standard with 30 day calendar marks, right? It's not from how much did we spend? You know, it's what were we acquiring a customer at? What can we expect yep. to return on that? And then what's that 28 window, 28 day window going to tell us? Yep. No, I have uh, do some consulting for some big agencies too. And, you know, they're spending two, three million a month and they like go off of seven day click, not even like seven day click one day view. It's just seven day click. And they see such volatility. And I'm like, you just, you got to open up your attribution window. But some of those clients don't like that because they don't necessarily believe in it. But I, I've never found a really good way as we both know clients are pains in the ass sometimes. So, you know, that is, that is true. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the way I phrase the argument is that you need, you know, you need to build for long distance, right? Yeah. You need, you need to build your business that's capable of doing things for a long time. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. in this industry will come in and do well for a little bit and then that's it because it's just like a, it's a one trick pony. Right. I think the real test of like, who is really cut for this industry is like what, how many times can you take offers and build up companies and how can you build something that lasts a long time? Something that lasts a long time is going to have their numbers right. And uh, you know, but if, if you get your numbers right based on attribution, that's really how you can scale efficiently yeah. about reading your data. So I think those attribution windows are just necessary to scale. Right. And that's yep. how I always kind of approach it. Yep. Uh, here's a good question from Antonio. He says, say you're running multiple ads in a retargeting window across multiple ad sets. How do you decide what's underperforming versus what has a good impression value with little or no attribution? Um, it sounds to me that you're cutting things too close and you're not letting enough data gather. Um, if you're looking with no, if can you read that question again? The part yeah. about the impression value? 
Yep. So it says, say you're running multiple ads in the same retargeting window across multiple ad sets. How What's do a retargeting you... window? Is that like uh, the, like, the one to set, like time? One, yep. One to three okay. day view, one to two day add to cart. Okay, uh, cool. And you decide what is underperforming versus what has a good impression value, but little or no attribution. So um, I don't, I'm impression value. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking CPM price. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's what that refers to. And yeah. in that scenario, I would say um, don't look at CPM. Um, I mean, it's, it's good if you're at scale and you, you know what, what CPM to expect from this audience. But I have audiences that have $156 CPMs within frequencies of like 13 and they're my highest ROAS, right? So CPM is just not really a good metric because it doesn't indicate the quality of the audience. If anything, higher CPMs indicate a higher quality audience, right? So just assuming that because the impressions are expensive uh, doesn't mean they're valuable, I don't think that's an accurate assumption. You should always look at your retargeting as, you know, what is my frequency? How big is the audience? How many ads am I serving per day? And what is the CPM as in like, how many ads can I serve based off how many people are in the audience? Yeah. So look at it with that relationship and then look at your, you know, look at other metrics, landing page views, add to carts, purchases, and don't, don't make decisions off, off uh, you know, don't cut it too early and don't, don't get too trigger happy. You could also look at like uh, setting up like scrolling uh, and with you use GTM, just set up, you know, scroll 50% of the page, stay on page for over like two minutes, look at so many pages and you can fire like custom conversions that way. And then you could look right. at higher yeah. up the funnel, you know. Right. I was also thinking you could fire like a, let's say if it's something they're going to be sitting on that page for a long time, you could delay a pixel event, delay a custom yeah. conversion that fires yeah. after they've been on there for a minute. Right. And that's yeah. like another deep funnel conversion you can get just by time um, that can create new lookalikes and, you know, give you something to optimize for. That's like, like you were saying more tangible than like impression mm -hmm. value. Try to, yep. Try to just get a KPI for that custom conversion before the registration and kind of try to figure out based on your other data on where that number needs to be and engage it that way. Yeah, we, we create a custom conversion for the landing page view before the registration. And, you know, that's just, uh, we create custom conversions for really everything. Um, yeah. Event-based, event-based, uh, way, way better than URL-based. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Would increasing your target cost on a lead campaign result in higher quality leads? Perhaps Facebook won't be digging through the bottom of the barrel with a higher target cost. Your thoughts? Hmm. Um, I'm of the opinion that target cost should be set around real CPA. That's um, my thought with it. I, and I believe that's why Facebook um, mm -hmm. that option. In yep. your scenario, I would say look for maybe a high bid cap and try maybe Tim Bird's bully method. Um, do a three, four X your CPA on a bid cap and see if that gets you higher quality. Um, I have had success with that in the past. Doesn't always work. Um, it's Facebook and yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it's random, it's chaotic, but, um, yeah, I, I, that's where I would look. I don't recommend raising the target cost though, but if anyone else has insight on that, it'd be interesting. No, I, I we run a lot of like, uh, sniper, I think would be good for you for him to test too. Uh, yeah, we had, like, sniper is really cool. Yeah, great man. Have a lot of success with that as well. And if you don't have that, Garrett, uh, that's only available in gold and platinum. So you'd have to sign up for ad leaks. But it's a really cool. Uh, there's a lot of different bidding methods in there that go through like target costs and how to use it and stuff. So um, here's a really good question, uh, and I actually like this, and I'm curious to know your answer for this kind of stuff. Are you using uh, 
lowest cost, like cost cap, lowest cost, what's your magic mix for running uh, the different types of bidding methods? Yeah. Um, so I, um, when I, I mean, uh, last year, 2018, I would, if you ask me this, I would say perfect your bid cap bids. That was the play. Um, yep. That was most definitely the play. Nowadays, um, I do like bid cap for remarketing um and same same type of theory there um but i, I like a lot of auto bidding um i think for ecom there's definitely a target cost play there because you're going to get a lot of stability and scalability and that's probably going to earn you more profitability on the long term mm -hmm. um but uh typically for me nowadays i like auto um i do a lot of manual bidding still in remarketing and i change up the optimization events and the ad set level and a lot of the, uh, it, you know, if I have any magic sauce, a lot of it happens there. Um, you know, really, really understanding the KPIs and the data and then making uh, manual bids on remarketing that ensures that if an audience is valuable to me that I've cultivated on my pixel, I'm always gonna win in that auction. So having that mindset will lead you to naturally think of solutions that will probably um, be pretty beneficial for you um, in regards to just like, how do I get a competitive advantage for my remarketing customers attention on social media? Um, yeah. and, and you got to remember if they're engaged with you, it's likely that their, your, their, uh, engagement rates and, um, you know, they'll, they'll like your ad. And so, you know, a lot of times it's worth throwing up a higher bid on your remarketing audiences, um, because you're going to find, um, that it gives you lower conversions. That being said, at the end of the day, if you really want to know the absolute secret sauce, it's not very secret. It's write great copy and have a really good actual business model and back end. That's the real solution. What are you guys seeing usually for like uh, CTRs? Like what's a good CTR for you that's indicating like good ad, good ad quality? Great. Yeah. So um, I look at um, the, I'm one of the only, well, actually Nick Fisher and myself are the only people I know that really look at this metric, but I actually like CTR all. Um, so not unique link bound, C, uh, outbound link CTR, which is what I'm assuming you're referring to. Um, but I actually like uh, clicks all CTR. And that just tells you um, in my mind, like how many, how many times your ad successfully broke scroll, right? How many times did it successfully stop someone from scrolling? Um, and that's a good preliminary metric and also one you can find pretty immediately. Um, and anything above 5% is going to let you know that you put up a really interesting piece of content. Link CTR all depends on obviously, you know, your, um, the more important metrics and how it's backing out. But uh, obviously, you know, you 1%, you want to be better than 1%. It's always good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I've never used CTR at all. It's an interesting theory. Uh, it's definitely not like a metric I would like die on my hill for, but I do find that it's, uh, it's useful. I really do. Um, mm -hmm. it's like, uh, it, it, it's a good metric of like how many people stopped on my ad and that's like the most, um, and you know, maybe read the comments, maybe click see more. A lot of my ads are long form. Um, so I, I find that actually pretty useful, but again, it's not something I would die on the hill for. Okay. Uh, how to target wealthy people for real estate ads. <laughs> I have, a, I have a theory on that, but you can go ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, I obviously they have the uh, top income 
Um, Which pulls from IRS docs, so that's pretty accurate usually. Right, yeah. right. And so that, you know, it's pretty solid targeting. Expect to pay a much higher CPM, obviously. You know, just anticipate that. Um, but with re what I would do um, is I would take uh, your client's mailing list and whatever email list they have and create lookalikes and go after those audiences and then, um, you know, run video views um, or some, you know, kind of like a carpet bomb type strategy in the wealthiest uh, zip codes that you were going after. Um, and you, you could geostrat down to do that. And that also allows you to create some really localized creative, which is going to be very strong in a real estate play. Um, yeah. So I, I would say something around there, you know, get, get a lookalike, maybe ask your customers about which, or maybe ask your client uh, if they have a list of, you know, luxury buyers or something like that, that you can upload, make a lookalike. The other option would be, tar you know, use, use Facebook's native targeting that allows you to, to target by income since they added it back. What yeah. would you say? Uh, the income thing I was going to say, but then also you could start targeting by like uh, high quality interest people that like, like, you know, Prada, Louis Vuitton, like luxury type products. Um, yeah. you know, that'd be another way to try and do it. Uh, that's a tough one. Basically lookalikes is your best way or the, the income. And I, we're actually just starting some stuff for some real estate. So it'll be interesting because, uh, the other thing you can do is if you have a budget actually now that I'm thinking about it is you can actually go to like data logics or kind of, I can't remember the name of the other platform Snapchat uses, um, but you can actually buy that data that Facebook took away to be able to target more accurately. And you can actually plug that back into Facebook, but you just have to pay for it. Um, yeah, Tim Bird talks about some really cool data.gov plays that you can make yep. um, regarding this same thing. Um, really, really, really smooth looking at, you know, higher income regions, finding those regions through data.gov and then uploading them into, you know, as a, as a geo specific audience. Yep. I think a lot of those things, um, you just got to get clever with it, you know? Yeah, it's a tough one for sure. Uh, let's see here. Have you got, have you done anything with Snapchat? Have you ran a lot? Um, I haven't ran a lot. Um, but yeah, I have, I have ran some snap ads, um, seeing success. Um, I saw some tracking difficulties <laughs> at first. Um, we haven't really put a lot of time into Snap yet. Initially, I definitely see the appeal. The ROAS, um, a lot of people I know and talk to are running heavy Snap. And I hear some of the insane ROAS numbers. And I think it's just largely due to how cheap the traffic is. Um, but I know a lot of people struggle with approvals and I struggled with approvals for a little bit as well. It's difficult to get ads approved on that platform. Um, and Snap, huh? what was the trick to getting them approved? I think Alex uh, suffered with that as well. Yeah. Get a rep. <laughs> um, you, yeah. Use the chat feature and just like, see if you can reach out. Snap has amazing customer service. I will give them credit for that. It's way better than Facebook there, but their platform's still rickety, right? It's a brand new ad platform. It's obviously modeled exactly after Facebook. So if you're good at Facebook, you shouldn't have a whole a whole lot of trouble making those ads. But yeah. obviously it's very creative based. Um, Matt, uh, Van Oaks and Matt Smith are both two dudes who really know a lot about Snap. And um, I would definitely defer to their knowledge over mine. Yeah, there's a whole interview with Van Oaks that Tim did for uh, kind of his giveaway strategy or whatever. Uh, it's funny, yeah. bad Facebook because I've never had bad luck with Facebook customer support. I have chat. I mean, I can chat them whenever because we have such a higher level of spend, but I don't have a lot of difficulty with them. Do you? Um, I mean, I, I can chat them whenever too. Um, 
it's amazing how bad some of the answers can be through that. Um, but I'm more referring to like, if you like, if you get banned, if you get, you know, there's so many stories, dude, like, yeah. like Facebook just doesn't, they don't care, you know, no. but snap, like, you know, you're one of like 70 advertisers right now. So they're, you know, they got time for you. Yeah. I was sitting at Tim's mastermind in LA last year when I first met him and I got banned literally sitting there and right. I, yeah. And I was freaking out because it was completely white hat. And so I called our, you know, I did the appeals or whatever. didn't go through, didn't go through. I didn't have a rep for that account. So, um, I ended uh, up, going, what's that? This is what I mean. Like, this is horrible customer service. It is. It is. And listen to this, like the shittiest. And this is the only time I've ever had like, you know, a bad, a bad play, but like literally their answer was like, everyone gets the usual message. Um, so I contacted a rep through my other client and asked for a solid. I was like, Hey, I know you're not over this account, but can you do me a solid? Can you like escalate this? So what ended up happening was she did a message and they, they banned two accounts actually. And they came back and their answer was, Oh, sorry, that was a mistake. Mm, and it's like, yeah. you know, fuckers, like this is like somebody's livelihood here. This is a right. legit that has employees that depends on you and you go and just ban them like i was just flabbergasted so they unbanned it and then the funny thing is like we haven't had a, i've never had any other bans since but the one thing that i did find out was i finally took a call because i always get those facebook marketing expert calls um, yeah, I, yeah i get that too and, yeah and actually if you don't have a rep it is very worth just like playing into their BS because they can actually escalate problems into a different queue than regular. Yes, customers. dude. Yes. It, so, Facebook, literally it's a gamified system. You just hit the nail on the head. If you want to get a rep and everyone does answer everything, use all the features that Facebook offers like yeah. in, inside the app, you know, use instant experience, use video view campaigns, even if it's small, use it because you know, Facebook notices who uses all of their features. Yep. And yep. then the second thing, like you said, yeah, man, hop on that. If any, if you, anybody, if you're looking to get a rep for an account, you get a, a, a marketing specialist. Don't even look at it as this is a learning opportunity. It's like, no, yeah. this is an opportunity for me to get a rep. Like <laughs> I can, if I can finesse this, you know, that's a hundred percent it. And everyone yeah. I know, I know, I know um, some guys that have really finessed the game to the point where, you know, they've like gone to Facebook headquarters. Do not recommend this by the way, at all. But, you know, some people have like gone to Facebook headquarters, found reps. I know people that have like sent bottles of wine, sent food, uh, just really, really finessed it. And yeah. they, you know, were able to move up the hierarchy. But there's yeah. so many advertisers on Facebook that yeah. they simply just do not have the infrastructure to talk to everyone. And your spend has no recollection. Like it doesn't matter if you spend 50 million a month, 50 million a day. That doesn't mean you're going to get a rep, which some people just can't fathom. I have right. 2k a month and have a dedicated rep because they're a legit clothing brand that facebook sees potential in exactly so, uh i would say a hundred percent even when i was on a skype chat call with tim today it popped up call with facebook marketing experts like dude you're getting on a call with a marketing expert it's like a hundred percent i mean i just i told the guy straight up look i know i'm smart and i told him this straight up i know i'm smarter than you but he actually like i and i told him that but he actually brought stuff to you me that, like, I, oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's devastating. Well, not like a nice way. I told him in a nice way. I mean, he showed me stuff that I didn't even know, to be honest. He showed me like how to like for bulk ad disapprovals. You know how like you get 200 ads disapproved? Like there's a bulk tool for that. You I know, I didn't that. 
Yeah, I didn't know that. That came from a marketing expert. And I was like, dude, awesome. Like, thanks. You know, like, so I, I mean, he's, he's definitely like, they don't spend to the level and they do what Facebook tells them to do, take it with a grain of salt, but really just leverage those relationships because that's how, you know, I got an email last week that my agency got approved for Facebook uh, partners. I didn't do anything. It's kind of just weird how I've been running high level spend for years. And then after I start incorporating with a marketing expert, I automatically get partner, um, you know, so definitely leverage those relationships and take advantage of them. Yeah, um, most definitely. It's a, it's a smart play. It's a gamified system. Yeah. Uh, way off topic on that, but I think that's really important because that's really some big, uh, big things coming in. Are you guys moving towards other platforms now? Um, I think we kind of touched on that a little bit. I think diversification. What I mean, what are you? Yeah. Um, so we, um, like I said earlier, you know, you if if you're if you're running for some, you're running ads for a business, and um, you know, people are googling your product a lot. You're definitely going to want to even bid on your own keywords, right? And so when we realized that our own keywords, our own names in Google were performing well and getting us a high row as we really realized that an omni-channel strategy is a must. And it's it's case by case basis, right? Every client's gonna have different needs and different unique features that their product or offer has um, that require a different um, network strategy. But yeah, we are definitely branching out. Um, really, if we can buy ads profitably somewhere, we're gonna do it. I don't yeah. I don't really care like what the network is. Yeah, and it's smarter to do it from a business perspective because if you get hit with one of those BS bands or they shut you down, you're not heavily reliant on one platform at the mercy of Facebook to basically. Crush yes. You. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, and then another tip I would say on that is because um, right now I know I've never had an account banned until recently. I just, I mean, I was doing some affiliate stuff when I first started where I would get stuff banned. But um, since I started doing uh, white hat only, I really never got anything banned until mm -hmm. recently. So I know compliance has really gotten really stiff. And so one of the ways you can mitigate that would be like put your pixels in a different VM, don't run ads from it, um, and just share them to the other VM and ad accounts. So that way, uh, even if it does get banned, you still have all your pixels, they're not locked, they're fine, and you can. Um, it's an easier rebuild. Yep, that's a good point, good plan. Or just have multiple business managers running a little bit of ad spend in each one, like have one client in one, another client in one, because you can open up two business managers per email, So, and then you can have your wife open one, share you as an admin. Have and then remove, yeah. Yep, just keep them on there. I mean, it doesn't hurt to keep them on there. Just, uh, you know, I have a ton of business managers that we don't even use are just sitting there, so. Yeah, I do too. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, is there anything like what is one thing that you think uh, kind of wrap up that most people just doing media buying? Like what's the one big takeaway that you could give that would just, you know, blow minds what people are doing, taking advantage of? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, I don't know about one thing that could, could blow minds. I, I would say. Um, and this is what I'm speaking. Um, I, I'm speaking in Barcelona um, on day one for iStack. And what I'm going to talk about there is copywriting at every part of the funnel. Um, as media buyers, we, well, one more thing before that. The other part of that would be um, creating an incredible backend and look to increase your AOV and look to increase your LTV. Find strategical ways that you can structurally build your business to have offers that create a more profitable journey for your customer. 
And then with, with, with that being said, um, I think media buyers at large are prone to like think, well, you know, I need to learn the, the newest manual bidding hacks in order to have an edge. And it's like, that's not where the edge is. Sure, can that help you? And most definitely. Are those things valuable? Absolutely. But the biggest lever you can pull is always going to be your creative. Just yep. go out there and write better ads. Find a way yep. to get better at copywriting. Read Eugene Schwartz's Breakthrough Advertising. The best advertisers and where Facebook is going with all the artificial intelligence, CBO, the removal of hacking the auction, if you will. Uh, it's moving to a place of creative, creative and offer. So remember yep. that offer always reigns supreme. Creative comes next and your effort should reflect that. You know what I mean? As a media buyer, don't get caught in the weeds and lose the forest in the trees. Yep, we've been running like basically the same strategy for years. I mean, as far as like build out how we, I mean, our it's not like we're doing anything. I mean, I've always ran auto bid, very little manual bid unless we're doing like sniper or anything, but our, our strategy stayed the same for five, six years. It's never really yeah. changed. Um, uh, I use a lot of dynamic creative. That's the other yep. thing I'd say too. Yeah, Dyn dynamic uh, is amazing. You said two things I want to touch on, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, increasing AOV and increasing LTV. How does one go about doing that? Yeah, good question. So um, I think uh, uh, AOV is going to be done by things like let's say you have an ecom product. Um, a good way to do that would be like a, a, a one-click uh, upsell after purchase, right? So like, let's say they buy it, they complete purchase, then on the thank you page, there's another, there's an upsell for like an additional product or whatever, something that fits and goes with the one they just bought. I think another good way you can do it is when the product is, and uh, uh, this comes from Nick Shackelford, it's not my own idea, but um, Shackelford is one of the best in the game at this type of stuff. Um, and he, what he does and what he recommends is um, like when the product is shipped out to them, have a salesperson call them and upsell them while the product is on its way there, right? So have fast shipping, but you know uh, that's a great time to upsell, right? Because you're never gonna find the customer more excited than when they're waiting for their product to come. Um, but all of that comes from, you know, like I said before, the back end and building up the business, right? So it can handle, uh, you know, it, an infrastructure can handle those types of offers. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really like AOV plays, I would say, that we're, we're, will probably be your best ones. It's all about pairing a product with. Another way you could do it is uh, bundles. Um, the easiest way, obviously, is buy two, get one free. Um, nice, simple way to increase your AOV. Um, as for remarketing and LTV, um, find a journey, right? Like if someone, you know, buy, find it, find a journey for your customer and plot it out meticulously and look to sell to them as a service, right? Selling as a service, as in, if you bought this product, I know, you know, let's say you bought a beanie from my store. Well, you're probably living in cold weather. You may like a scarf, you may like a, a jacket, you may, you know, whatever it is, create auxiliary products around that initial offer and then sell to your purchasers, people that already bought from you one time. If they bought from you once, they'll buy from you twice. Um, yep. So that's, uh, that's really the play right there. And uh, a lot of it comes, a lot of people think it's like, you know, some mysterious ad hacks you can do. It really comes from just, switching up the offer and finding a uh, more appealing reason to get people to spend more. I'm um, giving yep. them more value the more they spend. Yep. I know Chandler Wellings in here. We just did a meeting with uh, live with him and he's basically creative, you know, and he said like, I'm not the best at Facebook ads. I'm probably mediocre, but they bang out so much creative and they test so much creative that they find all of these winning angles. Exactly. And that's how, that's how they pull 
crazy, crazy ROAS. Can you pull yep. crazy ROAS by doing different strategies and like doing, yeah, you can, but you're never going to scale to that point unless you're, you know, you're banging out know, a ton of, ton of, ton of creative. Uh, I have, have so many angles in my documents folder on my computer. It is ridiculous. When I look at it, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's kind of, it's sad almost. Like I spent so much time writing all these angles. Most of them sucked, right? A, ma a lot of them sucked, the majority. But when you get a few that work, um, things start popping. And that's really, again, it's the easiest lever, right? It's the yeah. easiest lever. Uh, uh, if you look, you know, look at it in percentages of like percent, you know, a, an impact calculation on changing a manual bid versus you know creating a new angle that actually has some appeal um you're going to get a hundred percent more scale with the angle as opposed to like the five percent improvement you would get with the manual bid hack right okay. and so just remember that's what that's for manual bidding is to bring down costs for things that you've already got running that are working but if you can't yeah. get it on auto it's not like manual bidding is going to save you in most cases sometimes i've seen that happen um when it, especially if it's like really low um uh, average order value, really low, uh, you know, average ticket. Um, but for the most part, go for that angle. Yeah. Uh, I 100% agree. It's even hard to get clients to do creative. I have a client that spends hundred K a month. Like we bang out 12 pieces, 12 ads a month. It's like, dude, like he doesn't even give me creative and like in this format, all of his ads are like this. It's like, you can't even run an Instagram stories. Like that's your main thing. That, and it's like, can we bang? And it's just such a hassle to get some people to do creative unless you have a creative aspect in your agency, which do you guys handle all of the creative internally or do you outsource that or what do you do with that? All internally. Oh, really? It's, sorry. Yeah. it's such a headache for That's the way to do it, dude. So yeah. all, all of our contracts require us to have like a lot Full of control. control. Yeah. That's uh, the best way to do it. It's the only way. Yeah, it's the only way. If you're relying on it, something is always going to break. You're always going to need to fix a different part of the funnel. It's just it's the only way. Yep. How many people do you have doing that? Like creative video. Um, we have a very, uh, very lean team. Um, so we have a total of like five, six people that work for us. Um, but we we do pretty big numbers. Um, we're having yep. we're having a good year so far. And um, everyone on the team contributes to creative somehow. And then we have um, Taylor, my girlfriend, she uh, does all of our videos for us. And she okay. is absolutely phenomenal. She is Perfect. like insanely talented. So um, we are very creative based, very creative led. Um, all of our clients know that about us. And that's our biggest appeal is that uh, creative is handled 100% in house and all of the buying and everything. All right. Yeah. Tim Bird's in the house. What's up, Tim? Shout uh, out, Tim, Godfather of Facebook ads. <laughs> uh, somebody asked the book title, and I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe I was. Uh, the book title was uh, "Breakthrough Advertising" oh, by okay. Eugene Schwartz. And yeah, uh, yeah so my if Tim Bird, uh, his mastermind is really what like that's the, that was the spark in the powder keg for me in this industry. Uh, yep. Meeting Tim Bird. Um, I think t some of Tim's strategies, like the theory, how he theoretically understands Facebook ads, uh, it's unparalleled. It's unparalleled. Yeah. He knows it so well. Um, yeah. And I, uh, his understanding of the why bully works, um, I think, is something that a lot of people could use to get a ton of clarity on manual bidding. Because there were a yeah. lot of questions asked in that. Yeah, I no, I went for the mastermind, and I. I, I learned, you know, some stuff I'm pretty high. I would consider myself pretty high level media buyer, but even if you think you're that good, you're going to walk away with some learning for sure. I know I did. 
Um, not only that, but I tell people the, the I got more out of, to be honest, the social networking that goes on at those events. Of course, is, yeah, of course. So the networking's huge, huge dude. The networking's humongous. huge. But even more than that, I think like it, it depends. I don't know. For me, like, dude, I was spending millions and millions of dollars on a single webinar funnel when I went to Tim's mastermind. It wasn't like I was a slouch. Like I knew what the fuck I was doing. Yeah, we, we, we were making serious money, you know, and yeah. I sat down and popped open my remarketing with Tim and I explained one of the issues I was having, even though the campaign was flying. And he gave me a very simple suggestion. It was like two minutes. He was like, dude, change the add to cart to a custom conversion and see if that changes the optimization event metrics. Right. Like see yeah. if that changes how the campaign spent. And sure enough, by the time I left the mastermind, that was popping. So it's like, even if you just get one little thing, it's still, it, it can be make or oh, break. You know, sure. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And I think that's what's so cool about this industry is uh, the margins are so thin, which is why people fail often uh, that, you know, if you, if you mess up, you, it's going to, it's going to hit you pretty hard. But I also like that because you can just nudge things a little bit and get a very disproportionate lift based on the amount of effort yeah. you put in. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. VWO was a big one that I got. And, uh, for, VW, me too. VWO. Yeah. Yep. Implemented that after I left the mastermind and went from like a one and a half to 3% conversion rate within two months just by split yep. tests and things on Shopify. So definitely check out timber.com if you're thinking about a mastermind. Uh, let you plug some stuff. So how do people get in touch with you if they are uh, looking to ask questions or want to kind of pick your brain on webinar funnels? Um, yeah, so I'm going to be at iStack Barcelona. Um, I have uh, something pretty exciting that I'm going to be talking about on stage. I uh, I think um, it's a secret right now, but I think a lot of people are, are kind of going to be eye-opened um, with that. Um, I'm actually working with him on that. So pretty excited to talk about that. That will be going down at iStack. Um, in next Barcelona, week. Spain. It's next, next week, week, the 10th yep. and the 11th. Mm -hmm. That's um, what Tim's in a couple days. Yeah, Tim's, yeah Tim, Tim's there now. Uh, yeah. It's at Soho House, which is rad. Um, but uh, probably shouldn't have said that. Whoops. Uh, but <laughs> get some get some room number, out there. Room number yeah. He's in two yeah, twelve. He's, he's probably over there, and his uh, social security number is six five. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. If you want to talk to me, hit me up on Facebook. Tag me in an ad leaks question. Um, it, yeah, man, I'm I'm pretty easygoing, and uh, if you you have a question, just get at me. Yeah. All right. That sounds good, man. I appreciate it, guys. That's all for now. Uh, if you want to listen to this later, I will upload this tonight to the AdLeaks podcast. Uh, it streams from like iTunes, Spotify, all that. You can check that out. Uh, Podcast.adleaks.com. I uh, appreciate the time, Jordan. Uh, yeah, great, great meeting you again, seeing you again, chatting, and we will be in touch. All right, Thanks. guys. Keep buying ads. Thanks.